Welcome to the Future of Internal Communication podcast series. This series is brought to you by the Institute of Internal Communication and is hosted by myself, Jennifer Sproul, Dominic Walters and Catherine Barnard. How we work is in the early stages of profound transformation. Over the next decade, the entire nature of how we work will change. Technology, evolving socio-cultural attitudes and behaviours, globalisation, climate change, and these are just some of the trends impacting the way we work in the 2020s. While many aspects of work will change in the coming years, some things remain constant. One of those is the role communication plays in our ability to create understanding, meaning, and enable people to perform at their best, both individually and collectively. How we communicate sits at the heart of organisational success. World-class communication transforms working lives by helping people feel informed, connected and purposeful. When we feel seen and heard, we feel our contribution matters. With change as the new normal, the work of the internal communication profession has never been more important. And in this podcast series, we explore the changing world of work to identify the opportunities for the internal communication profession. We believe that a better understanding of the future of work will help us deliver better communication strategies for our organisations. And when we better serve our organisations, by default, we future-proof our careers. We hope you find this podcast series thought-provoking and encourages you to really see the opportunities that lie ahead as the world of work continues to change. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode six of the Future Internal Communication podcast. And today we're going to be talking about knowledge exchange and continuous learning in the future of work. As always, you are joined by myself, Jennifer Sproul, or Jen, as I like to be called, Dominic Walters and Catherine Barnard, um, who are here as your hosts. And today we're thrilled to be joined by Paul Jocelyn, who is an organizational development and capability strategy expert. So, Paul, I'm going to kick over to you in a minute just to tell us a little bit about your background in corporate learning and development. So welcome, Paul. Thanks, Jen. Really good to be here. Hi, Dom. Hi, Kat. Um, really appreciate this opportunity. Yeah, my name is Paul Jocelyn. I've spent 30 plus years messing around in this area. Um, most of that time was in a corporate career. I spent uh, a long, long time with Tesco, uh, a career of two halves there. I was uh, what they call an operator. So I grew up through the stores. I was fortunate to become a store manager, ran four stores around the south of England. So the whole perspective on Here's a PL business. Here's a couple of hundred people. Here's a dozen direct reports. Here's how we need to create the right experience for customers whilst achieving our targets, of course, was a, you know, a fantastic grounding and a privilege to be part of that organization at such an exciting time. Um, the Tesco of then in the early 90s was definitely what we would expect and see today. And the second half of that career took me around the UK, but also around the world. Again, it was a fantastic opportunity. So I was involved um, within the marketing division in Tesco to build out the international operating model. So at a point where the business was starting to go global, how do we take everything we've learned in nearly 100 years of trading in the UK, codify that, take it around the world, whilst keeping the best of those local businesses, of course. So operating model design and development, um, 
scaling that internationally, thinking about how do you create a culture, how do you bring the best of a centralized business whilst keeping and maintaining um, everything you need to tap into in terms of local knowledge was a fantastic way into thinking about what really makes businesses tick, what's the environment you need to create, how can you enable people to really bring the best of themselves. So there's a book in there somewhere, Jen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll look forward to that book, Paul. <laughs> well, well, Paul, let's do a bit of promotion for that, that book of the future, because this whole series, as you know, is, is looking at all aspects of the future of work uh, and how it affects internal communicators. So let's start with a broad question, which is uh, this episode is around knowledge exchange and, and continuous learning. So from your experience, why are those things so important for organisational resilience and for organizations planning the future work as many are at the moment yeah it's a great question to to start from i think an interesting way to frame that is to look back and consider what corporate learning used to be for so if we think about where a business created value and how it scaled and guaranteed its sustainability it really was through control So what was seen to be valuable within an organization was how do we ensure consistency? How do we drive standardization? How do we ensure people understand what's expected and execute that in a way that's repeatable so that over time we can outplay the competition? So if we think about that as a mindset, corporate learning was very much born out of that. And you had a small group of people at the top of the organization who were responsible for strategy. You had a group of people, probably in organizational design, who would think about the work and the roles, the handoffs, the silos. Often the silos were very deliberate. And then we'd have the HR function that would ensure the right policy and process around it. And then L&D, quite simply, the work of learning and development was all of that's been agreed above. We just got to train it in. So the goal was really how do we ensure that repeatability? How do we ensure that consistency? How do we ensure that the people are delivering on our expectations of them? And that served many businesses well for decades. What we see now is what used to be valuable and therefore differentiating are now increasingly some very different things, some very different expectations. And I'd argue the work of L&D now needs to reflect that, enable it, and in fact, accelerate it. So be clear on where we need standardization, consistency, repeatability, but increasingly focus on creating the conditions in the environment for the new things increasingly that will set us apart and sustain us in the future. So does that, just building on that point, what what impact does that have upon learning and development professionals in terms of their role in the organisation? Yeah, so I think, again, historically and even up to now, we see most of the focus is on education within an organization. So where we talk about learning, learning with a big L, learning with a capital L in the industry, really that's still a shorthand for education and knowledge transfer. So we're clear on our expectations of people. We have created mostly content assets that we feel once they're consumed are going to move that individual or that team's understanding and therefore performance to the level that we expect. It's almost what what I'd call the industrial education complex of access, 
to content, consumption of content will equal magically some sort of engagement or performance change. Very much what we've all learned and experienced through school, curriculum-led, content-led, asset-led. I think the shift we're seeing is, again, this idea of how does an organization understand its environment? How does it reflect its environment? How does it reflect its context? And what are the social structures you need? What are the connections and relationships you need in order for people to contribute? So rather than it being a top-down, done-to-consume based on our expectation, and we're measuring consumption often, increasingly the work is moving towards what are the features of a learning organization? How do we get out of people's way? How do we fulfill their needs through a very different approach that needs a very different set of skills? And I think you'd summarize that back to the earlier point. How do we optimize the core stuff where we need standardization? How do you, and often through technology, is a great way of being clear on where the standardization can still make a difference. How do we scale that often through technology? but then spend more of our time as learning professionals in creating the environment. I think, can I just butt in there? I think that's a really interesting synopsis um, and and a really accurate um, evaluation of, of, of where business is at today because there's way too many businesses in the UK economy and beyond who are still operating under the illusion that markets are controllable and yet they're not anymore because we've got this convergence of forces that are creating a huge amount of turbulence and unpredictability and you know to quote the words of management thinker Margaret Heffernan we are in uncharted territory um but to to step into those realms is to kind of concede that you as a leader don't necessarily know what's going on on a day-to-day basis as you might previously have been able to. So this idea that you can still control the what is ostensibly the uncontrollable is still very, very pervasive. And I think we're seeing that at the yeah. moment with this whole debate about back to the office. Let's get everybody back into the office where we can see them manage them, control them, where we know what's what, and so on. And I think there's some really interesting dynamics at play, which I know you and I have talked about before, Paul. It's it's kind of the, the um, you know, how do we shift away from this very formulaic, cookie-cutter classroom approach to organisational learning towards Every day is a learning day. Every day is a new set of uncharted circumstances. And actually, there's a whole bunch of psychology wrapped up in that, isn't there? Because it's, it's, it's kind of leaning into the fact that none of us really know what we need to do to do our jobs optimally. But if we know that every day is a learning day, we're in a massively better place than if we're still clinging to the life draft of what used to be. Yeah, I mean, I, I grew up in Tesco and I, and I was very clear that my boss and my boss's boss knew best. And in the, 
<laughs> in them we we trusted. So I think absolutely, you know, this this ongoing need for certainty is now a hindrance. Um, but that's a huge leap of faith. That's a huge systemic shift in organisations that are, um, you know, fundamentally built on on this notion of control and standardization and, and centralization. But again, I, I think, you know, we're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater completely. There are rightly aspects of every every operation in an organization that we can see benefit from consistency, standardization, continual refinement. But again, I'd argue increasingly that's not where differentiation and the real magic and the real work happens. I think that comes from relationships, reflection, the openness to bring the outside in, the ability to deal with failure in a very different way, the ability to be much more candid and open to our own shortcomings. All of these things are, again, a shift in the management system that, again, I think repositions, gives a delicious opportunity for the work of learning and development, and I'd argue the work of internal comms too, to really reposition itself to be about organisational readiness and to be about spreading new ideas and new ways of thinking, rather than, which has certainly been the challenge of, of L&D, as I mentioned, a kind of instrument of control, very much around compliance. Um, and the goal was, you know, how, how do you make the delivery? How do you make the training better? And we get into all sorts of rabbit holes around technology and channels, but we're kind of missing the the more fundamental opportunity and the shift here in terms of where the real value gets created and what's the shortcomings in our organization? What are the shortcomings in those systems that, um, you know, teams like learning and development capability and communications can really step into? There's a, there's a vacuum there that I think they can really step forward, which is which is a bit scary, that's isn't it? That's such a fascinating thing <laughs> to you. Yeah, it's scary. I really like the phrase as well, that it's a delicious opportunity. I think that's the one I'm going to take away as well as the way of describing it. And you've talked about systemic shift. We've talked about this move from control and to yeah. allowing that openness and that transparency yeah. and actually relationships are really key. And this is where I think there's a really interesting parallel challenge for the internal comms and the L&D environment. That's a real kind of co-shared issue in terms of how do we create that environment that enables that to flourish, that enables that systemic shift, I think, in mindset, as well as then we're trying to figure out, you know, we're not going to get into content and channels and technology, which adds another enabling confusion to it. But let's, let's go back to think about that environment. So, you know, what do we need to do to, to foster and nurture that environment where information is shared for common good? You know, what can we do as an internal comms and an L&D and, and as a, a group of professionals to help enable that systemic shift so that the environment and the mindset happens before we then, you know, delve deep into sometimes more of the detail? Yeah, I think in, in my experience so far, it's always a mixture of top down and bottom up. So I think what we see is there are organizations, I call it this perfect storm. So I guess if I were to summarize what I've talked about in the first few minutes, we've got this pressure pushing down that is no longer the case that a centralized, refined, industrial productivity led model is going to guarantee your future success. 
you know, I think we can all agree that that's no longer a differentiator. The, the, the kind of margin of differentiation has just been squeezed and squeezed, and that's no longer enough. What meets that top-down pressure, as I'd call it, pushing up, is a very different social contract. So as employees, as people choose employment, because there are many other options now in a way that wasn't the case, I guess, as we started our careers, where people choose employment, that social contract needs to be very different. So if I think about people coming into the workplace now, their expectation of leadership, mastery, connection, development, growth, what we anecdotally call values, all of those things are much stronger and more powerful. And the old hierarchy just doesn't cut it anymore. So I think those two factors in that perfect storm, the business model challenge pushing down, the expectation of employees pushing up, the likes of learning and development and internal comms are at that frontier. They're caught in that, they're the meat in that sandwich, as it were. So there is a top-down enablement bit for sure that somebody needs to get the adults organized to enable us to see the system as it works today and to understand the diminishing returns of what we've always done, not moving us to where we, we need to go. So what are our goals and why? What are we reinventing towards and who will care? Those things, you know, leaders need help with that because it doesn't come naturally because what comes naturally is what has got them where they are. <laughs> Control, standardization, mm, process. That's so interesting. So somebody needs to help with that and call that out with empathy at that group because only then does the top-down piece start to come through. It's never a done deal, but the pieces of the puzzle start mm. to emerge. The other thing is the bottom-up, which again is really clear in L&D in this example, but it, there, there'll be similar opportunities for comms professionals. Where are the exemplary performers? If we're now headed there and not just there, and an exemplary performer was highly compliant, somebody who finished all the modules first, got themselves on a, uh, you know, a kind of, they're a high spec, they've got high potential. No, no, no. What we're looking for now is high performance defined as this. So how are people solving these problems on the ground? How are these people building the networks they need? Why are these results compared to these results so much more positive? What builds the sustainability? What's going on? What are the social structures? What are the kind of social norms? What's the culture in these organizations, these parts of the organization? What do leaders do and don't do? Where do they follow the rule book? Where have they thrown it away? So where we find that, again, increasingly the job of L&D is lifting it up. How do you normalize it? How do you provide a platform for it? How do you enable it to be shared? How do you enable it to spread? How do you find and understand where the insurgents are and what's working for them? Because those things could be valuable elsewhere. So the job of being a connector, a facilitator and an enabler, again, I'd argue is very different from, well, I'm a le an instructional learning designer. I'm a digital learning content expert. So those, those two paths are increasingly diverging. Not to say that's no longer relevant. Of course it will be, but I'd argue increasingly in the areas where standardization sets us apart and where that's appropriate. Over here, it's a very different set of skills that's much more consultative, much more about understanding and enabling the organization to understand the system 
and the levers in the system and how do we move that it's a really tried and tested um, saying that communication the approach to communication and learning and management those three things are you know three peas in a pod it's very very rare that you find an approach to what we'd call communication or an approach to what we'd casually call learning to be out of sync with the way the organization thinks about managing you occasionally get some wide-eyed crazy dancer on the hill but invariably those three things are kind of the three legs of the stool so i think the challenge the choice mm. and some inherent risk for lnd and for comms is how do we break out of some of this how do we set ourselves up to be spreading new ideas how do we build a voice that's potentially helping the organization to go somewhere new rather than reinforce and kind of hunker down on where we've come from and what we feel we always need to be you know that's a bit of a fork in the road um you know in my grand title that thank you for calling that out jen you know this kind of capability and organizational development strategy (laughs) well quite simply it's kind of who are you now what do you need to be are those two things compatible what are the risks and trade-offs what this what's the environment you'll need to create to enable that because your job as leaders and i'd include internal communications and learning and development as leadership enablers your job is to build an operating model that doesn't get in your own way and maybe some of what we've historically done increasingly gets in our own way to becoming something different but this stuff is all feels all out there doesn't it but i think you know starting somewhere that bottom up and top down in tandem is really important otherwise it it kind of dies in powerpoint yeah i think what's really really interesting about that what's surfacing for me is this idea that we have already gone past peak rugged individualism and we now you know the focus must be on community building for collaboration and knowledge exchange and and progress and so we you know we've we've reached the limits of heroic siloed thinking and siloed working and it's just not it's not working for us and i know in another episode we've talked about um shifts in leadership communication and leadership style and i think you know this this what we're talking about in terms of how the organization develops and evolves through learning it all kind of predicates for me around the sharing of knowledge information data wisdom insights whatever we want to call any of this stuff but the sharing piece is is really important and i know that you know we we've talked about trust elsewhere um that for me is is integral to this piece is how within an organization the environment is nurtured to become a a sharing environment rather than an environment that pits one individual against another in the quest for a promotion in the quest for power control all of those things yeah i mean (laughs) can i pick up on that as well because i think he's really he's really powerful yeah I th- what, what underpins this, listening to both of you talk about this, sorry, is the role of the importance of the role of internal communication and L and D to create this 
psychological safety, I guess, is the phrase you'd use. Sure. But there's the safety of knowing yeah. that doing the stuff you've just both spoken about. So if I try things and fail, it's not going to matter depending on what it is. I can I can ask silly, silly questions or what I may perceive to be silly questions. I've got the avenues and the mechanisms to raise issues and to challenge. I don't have to go through my line manager all the time. And I think there's definitely something there that we as communicators and L&D people can work together on uh, to jointly create this this atmosphere. It's, this it's a much more adult, 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 adult world, isn't it? You know, I think the way you've described that there and, and, you know, what enables psychological safety. I think, again, bringing it back to the opportunity for internal comms, if we think about, you know, two really key levers of, of shifting the system, um, one, accelerating access to, to new information and new context, which is, you know, squarely in the, you know, the historical realm of, of the comms team. So if we think about... What are some of the rules and parameters about how we think about sharing? How do we ensure that that cuts across the hierarchy in a very different way? Context is everything. That's a huge, you know, 10,000 volt power cable now to enable this sort of environment that that I'd argue, you know, the, the internal comms team has got their hands all over, which is a fantastic opportunity. The second one would be that I think is fairly and squarely in that in that remit is this idea of feedback loops. So enabling and um, accelerating the positive effect of feedback loops. So again, this traditional role of broadcast, you know, um, internal comms and L and D as information delivery. You know, it's back to that training mindset. You know, here's the predetermined content. You're going to learn it our way often in our time scale at the end of it, you kind of come through the car wash. Education, isn't it? You know, it's it's quite a parent-child. And who's then on the hook? Well, L&D are on the hook because they've taken sole responsibility for the whole learning thing. Leaders are happy with that because they kind of continue to do what they've always done. And the people are slightly shortchanged and a bit confused in the middle. Whereas what we're describing here is, no, no, we're all on the hook. There's ownership and there's expectation and there's empathy. And with that, comes real accountability. So I think those two levers around mm. access to information and context, contribution, and that one around feedback loops. I mean, they're two huge drivers of the system, drivers of the environment that I think um, both L&D and comms professionals should relish and treat as a couple of lightsabers, you know, in their in their hands, as it were. That can make a huge difference. There's, can you kill somebody with a lightsaber? Or are they good there, isn't there, Paul? Around. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think there's they're all right. Aren't they? there's, there's data out there, though, isn't there? That that kind of classroom-based training, that very traditional formulaic approach to training, I'll tell you what you need to know, yeah. isn't half as effective as social learning, peer learning. Um, so. Can you tell us a tiny bit about, you know, uh, why or how social learning is so much more effective? Because that's really what we should be doubling down on now, isn't it? That real kind of collaborative approach to learning. But what what do we know about how much more effective it is? Well, I think that, you know, that often the way back, way into this, I should say, is the, the sort of 70-20-10 concept, um, which... Yeah, can, can be catnip to um, you know certain organisations, certain folks in in L and D. I mean, it 
there's been decades of debate about should 10% be 7.6 and, you know, should the 20 be 18.4? Well, that is not really the point. Can you just, for people that don't know. Yeah, of course. For people that don't yeah. know, just tell us what 70, 20, yeah. 10 is. So, so fundamentally, we've got this idea. And again, this is, this is where it goes wrong because people get very much hung up on the percentages. But we've got the idea that there's a relatively small proportion of our learning comes from those formal interventions. There's a bigger proportion of our overall learning comes from our peers, our groups, again, those social structures within which we operate and within which we work together. And then there's the biggest proportion of our learning comes from doing the doing, doing the work, learning as the work. So <clears throat> you could argue that the training industry is still often very much focused on executing on the smallest part, the 10, we'll call it between us. But again, hands up, it might be 7.3. But the smallest part is where we see those formal interventions, training in all of their guises, which again is that very centralised mindset yeah. around, here's our curriculum, here's yeah. our topics, here's our framework, here's a set of interventions, tools, techniques, again, often increasingly enabled through technology, of course. And this is about a focus on how do we get people through that it's really difficult to translate that, of course, into meaningful performance change and output outcome. What we see as the real opportunity is how do you, back to that environmental question, how do you convene people together? How do you create exposure to the right groups so that people take more responsibility in a way that's more dynamic to build their skills and confidence together? And then interestingly, the biggest bit is through experiences, the work itself. How do we recognize? And sometimes it's okay to say every day is a learning day. Sometimes that kind of almost um, gets a bit hijacked by because there's two courses every Monday and, and, you know, which sort of takes us back in the other direction. But again, this idea that we can view the work we're learning from, through and at work. And it is a continual process. And almost the sort of road to Damascus moment for leaders is, no, that is in of itself valuable. So another way that can be helpful, doesn't work everywhere, but can be helpful is to replace the numbers, 70, 20, 10 or whatever combination. Call the 10 education and call it what it is and be really clear. Where is education appropriate? Because again, there'll be parts of the organisation, parts of our processes that rightly lend itself to that as the right choice of approach and right choice of tactic. If you think about compliance, you know, whoever fits my pacemaker, I hope they've gone through the compliance bit because, you know, that, that's appropriate and is aligned. We can think about the 20, the, the, the kind of in-groups piece as exposure. So how am I getting exposure? What's enabling exposure to the right current groups, new groups, different groups? How am I building my context, my perspectives, my relationships in a way that is fueling me to where the organization needs me to go and where I need to go? So where is that as a strategy and what can enable that strategy? So lots of different tactics we can use to enable that exposure piece. If we think about, you know, traditionally, 
time out on secondment into other teams. If we think about really simple stuff around this function goes and runs a session, uh, some lunch and learn sessions in a completely different part of the organization. So that exposure and relationships and connections piece is really key to enable. And then the big bit, what we traditionally call the 70%, we can think about that as experience, experiences in my role, in the next role, how am I recognizing and reflecting? Have I got an environment and have I got a boss? Have I got a team where our social norm, our habit, our culture is to treat this as continual learning and to see the work itself as something that's always taking us to the next level of performance? So sometimes just reframing the numbers can be helpful for some organizations. But just starting with the idea that where it's education, that should be appropriate and aligned, and we should call it that. Learning is way beyond just that element and just that aspect that leaders like because it's tangible. Leaders seem to like because somebody else has got the responsibility. We can put it in a Gantt chart and treat it like the ops plan, the marketing plan, the comms plan. Hey, presto, the learning plan. And interestingly, kind of for lots of reasons, culturally, L&D folks have kind of taken on some of that language, you know, learning requirements, learning milestones, learning measurement, all of these things that are quite symbolic of other parts of the operation that we seem to have perhaps jumped onto, I guess, in the hope of more status and a sense of, yeah, you know, we're, we're valued and we're contributing. But I would encourage organizations to think about, you know, the far bigger elements around what I've called exposure and experiences. And again, there's a really neat link into how we think about the contribution of comms. That's not a bad couple of lenses for that team to think through as well, I'd argue, experiences and exposure. I'm, I'm building on that. Uh, building on that, Paul, I'm conscious of time, so let me ask you a very quick summary yeah. question, if you like. Um, you've given us a very clear picture of what a learning organisation looks like, but can I ask you just in the last few moments to distill two or three points what a learning organisation actually looks and feels like, and then again, two or three points as to what internal communicators can actually do to contribute towards it. It's really to summarise some of the things you said. So I think in terms of a learning organisation... So first of all, what are the, what are the key characteristics? Yep. So the learning organisation, we've spent some time there on this idea of learning is seen as independent to these formal interventions. So that as a kind of mindset shift is really fundamental. In a learning organisation, you'd see an absolute focus on problem solving, critical thinking, performance improvement. So that commitment to where are we headed? What enables that? How do we ensure that momentum? Um, this idea of openness to, to new ideas from the outside. So this, this horizon and this context is really prevalent in an org, a learning organisation. And then fourthly, finally, I'd say this, this characteristic of autonomy and accountability, autonomy and ownership as low as possible in the organizational hierarchy. So this challenge of, you know, we're all dealing with complexity. Command and control is not a great fit. You know, putting the solving of the problems and the reflection on the problems as close as you can to where the, where the real work happens. That, that would be three or four characteristics that I'd say are clear in what we'd call a learning organization. And Dom, the second part of your sum up question, sorry, if you could recap. Yeah, second part was three key things uh, that internal communicators can do to encourage and support the learning organization. 
Well, I think we've touched on their role in the environment. So this, this couple of levers around um, access to new information. How do we open up the channels? You know, often internal comms, and they were part of my team when I was a head of capability. You know, we're the gatekeepers, we're the owners. You know, we're kind of standing at the at the drawbridge. Who comes in? Who can't? How do we shift that posture and kind of demonstrate this idea of opening up and and enabling people to understand the bigger picture and the context? I think is really key. And this enabler of these feedback loops. And we don't just mean fill in the free form at the end of the session and somebody will get back to you into our inbox. But again, a posture of something much more fundamental, because we know, again, in terms of shifting the system, building learning organizations, you know, that, that's such a key characteristic and a key capability to build. And I'd say, you know, overall, um, you know, the role of the role of L&D and internal comms is to spread new ideas, you know, which sounds, you know, delicious to me but but i think you know shifting from centralized gatekeepers on behalf of management i think there's a degree of insurgency required here in a good way in a professional way but this idea about spreading the new thing if it's not going to come from comms and people who are committed to growing people's potential you know with with the greatest respect it ain't going to come from finance god love them so, you know, I think that's a that's a really interesting challenge to step wow. into. Isn't it? Isn't it? And if ever there was a strategic imperative for the for the for the internal communication profession, surely that is it. Yeah, I think so. And if not now, then mm. then when? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I'm I'm just sitting here. I've made so many notes. Yeah. <sighs> no, I'm, sitting, I'm sitting here making so many notes and so many wonderful phrases and things to think about I like it, I'm, I'm now an insurgent with a delicious opportunity oh. <laughs> I mean I think that's something that we should change in all of our job titles from now on and I think you know we really want this series to be powerful and thoughtful and, and for me there's this thing around dialogue, around movement around flow, around exposure that can communication can create and there's a behavioural shift and a, a mindset shift and a cultural shift that this could all layers into. Um, and I think that what we unearthed in, you know, and as we think this through, is absolutely furthermore on that opportunity, but also that importance yeah. of that link between what we're doing in comms and what we're doing in LD and all these people that have the dare I say powers, which is not a word we, we we're not about power anymore, we're about collaboration. But we have the roles, I guess that can make that and enable that powerful shift, that can enable that dialogue, that can enable that environment. Um, and we need to be a really joined up approach. And we talk a lot about employee experience and and this is something that's a shared ambition um, built on a number of facets. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to go and say that all of you listening, be an, an insurgent with a delicious opportunity. Well, I, yeah, I see. In L&D, I talk a lot about, you know, it's easier to act your way into a new way of thinking. And people go, what? Can I just write that down? So I think, again, this this idea of you, you need the top down. You know, there needs to be commitment. What you can't have is this kind of incongruence between the way that the likes of L&D, I mean, you see they're just hitting the buffers and they, they see something different, but there's not that support from above. You know, culturally, there's just not that commitment. So you need that, you know. And again, somebody needs to help and facilitate at that level. But the bottom up bit, again, needs to be in concert. It, you know, it needs to come together. And where these pockets are happening, the opportunity to find it, lift it up, normalize it, celebrate it, share it on. I think that's where the, the, the real momentum is possible. 
brilliant. Well, I think that's a. I don't know about you, Dom and Kat, and I'm, I think that's a fascinating episode and, and, and a note to end on. And I think that there's lots more that we're going to uncover in other other episodes. I know, Dom, we've spoken a lot about empathy and leadership, haven't we? We've spoken more about change management, all the yeah. things that are going on. And so you'll see how these all these themes really do do link together. Great. Um, Paul, thank you so no much problem. for your time and sharing all of that. Lots for us to think about. And um, hopefully we'll, we will speak to you again in another guise as we start to really make those changes that are really powerful for the future of work. This podcast has been brought to you today by the Institute of Internal Communication and is produced by Jessica Williams and Shabi Tolu Ogun Polu.